Hey there, welcome back to another episode of MVP Business, where we showcase leaders who live through their mission, vision, and passion to drive growth, profits, and loyalty. I'm your host, Steph Silver. I'm the founder of Vine Collective, a leadership, branding, and marketing company helping meaning-filled organizations create meaningful brand experiences. Today's guest, Andrew Andrews Ramirez, works with leadership teams across many industries to lead large-scale change initiatives and implement simple tools so that businesses and business leaders can execute and achieve the results they want and live better lives. A change agent and an investor, Andrew is a true MVP leader, and I'm so excited to have him here today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. So we're, uh, we're starting every interview with a reminder because you never know when people are going to listen to this, that we're at home with kids, dogs, and all sorts of crazy stuff happening in the world, um, living in the midst of COVID. So oh, yes. the conversation has many, many paths to travel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think every neighbor in my neighborhood is doing some type of project that usually starts at seven in the morning with a jackhammer or a saw or something, so... Yeah, definitely. I'm sure you'll hear that. A couple of helicopters, planes, it'll be great. Never know. I think I've heard something. Um, so Andrew, let's start off with you telling me a little bit about your history before you started on the current path with Vargas Andrews. You can tell us a little bit about that if you'd like. Definitely. So um, <clears throat> interesting story, I guess, my kind of background. Both my parents immigrated to this country from Colombia. Um, my father joined the U.S. Air Force. That's how he got his citizenship. Um, my mother was his younger sister's best friend. So they grew up in Cali, Colombia. Um, my mother was always in his house studying. You know, growing up, he was the older brother that she always had a crush on, and he ended up leaving and going to the United States. Fast forward years, she'd lived in Spain and Madrid for six years came home for the first time, they fell in love, and um, he sent her a fiance visa, she came to the US, and the rest was history. Um, both my brother kind of felt the call uh, to service, so I went to school at Syracuse, uh, did ROTC when I was there, ended up joining the US Army uh, Commission as an infantry officer. And that kind of started, you know, my whole leadership uh, journey um, and really kind of grounded me and gave me those foundational tools uh, to really lead people kind of from a very young age. Uh, then, you know, found myself in Afghanistan in 2008, 2009. I had about 65 guys and uh, fortunate that I brought every single one of them back. Um, you know, they had a couple that I lost uh, to suicide um, after the return, uh, which was definitely hard. Um, but, you know, I, I call that my appreciation tour. And the reason that I call that is, you know, I've been fortunate to travel around, um, you know, see a lot of different cultures, you know, see poverty at its deepest levels. But, you know, having that experience really makes it to where anything that I come across today, any type of issue, any type of problem, it's not something that's life or death. You know, it's something that can be solved. We can come up with a way uh, to really make sure that uh, that problem goes away and we don't have to face it again. Um, so, you know, I came back to the U.S. after my deployment, uh, spent about four years in D.C. Uh, working kind of at the strategic level of the military, realized it wasn't a career that I wanted, but I always had a passion about continuing my education. So I went back to business school, uh, University of Chicago, uh, Booth School of Business, 
uh, did a couple internships in private equity when I was there, ended up going to Accenture out of business school. Um, really felt very much like the military again. You know, at the time, I think Accenture had about 500,000 employees. Um, I was fortunate to be working with a partner who was the wife of the last colonel that I worked for in the Army. Um, so it was kind of weird to see things come full circle. Um, but what I quickly realized was I was coming up with these kind of big strategies um, of how to help, you know, these large Fortune 50, Fortune 100 companies, uh, you know, try to fix a lot of the larger issues, ways that they were kind of, you know, um, lots of inefficiency. Uh, but uh, what I wasn't having the opportunity to do was to take those strategies and actually execute on them. Um, so the opportunity came for me to come out here um, to Los Angeles and I came to work for a family office. Uh, they had six businesses at the time. Um, they were turning over somewhere in the ballpark of about 80 million a year. And over the course of the next three years, we took them through a big, large scale business and digital transformation. And through that experience, you know, I, I learned a lot. I brought over my now business partner to be CFO of the family office. Uh, we learned, you know, a great working relationship, me more focusing on kind of the execution, um, operational efficiency type things, uh, him more kind of on the um, finance uh, and technology pieces. Um, at the end of that, you know, we delivered them a, a lot more profits to the bottom line, saved them about $2 million uh, by changing a lot of different strategies. Um, and through that process, I discovered something called the entrepreneurial operating system, uh, mm -hmm. created by a serial entrepreneur by the name of Gino Wickman, um, I became a believer, you know, all the things I'd learned in school, all the things I'd learned in practice, you know, in consulting, this was the first execution framework I've seen actually work. Didn't matter the industry, didn't matter if it was one employee or a hundred thousand. It really got everybody on the same page, speaking the same language and rowing in the same direction, which is a powerful thing. And so when I left the family office, my business partner and I, looked around and we said, you know, this firm that we're creating, we want to help businesses and business owners to live a better life. And one of the main pillars and things that we need to be experts on is this thing called EOS. Mm -hmm. So about two years ago, I went through their boot camp. Uh, it was about a two day session um, and got brought into the community. And now I've got about 10 clients uh, where I work with leadership teams uh, to basically try and figure out what's the direction you're going, how are you going to get there, and being able to hold everybody on that leadership team accountable to, you know, if I want to be a $100 million business and I'm only at $2 million now, what are the steps I need to take in order to get there? And that is, you know, it's a rewarding experience for me. I come from very humble beginnings, as does my business partner. And so now being able to give back, you know, and really help people from making the same mistakes that I've made in my career or mistakes I've seen others make, you know, that is what really gets me out of bed every morning um, and excited to the point that everything that I do, every engagement, I don't see it as work. It's with people that I enjoy spending time with. It's people that I know are purpose-driven. And, you know, that is something, life's too short um, mm -hmm. to deal with assholes, you know, that's <laughs> exactly. a better word uh, to describe that. But, you know, understanding that and really being able to live that and know when to say no when you just don't see that value alignment with somebody that even if they're going to pay you, you know, 10, 20, $30,000 a month, what you're going to have to do to keep that person happy just is not going to be worth it. So, you know, I've, we're fortunate to, you know, be growing amongst everything that's going on in the world. 
Um, and I would say that that's kind of uh, keeping to our kind of mission and values. That's phenomenal. I have so many questions out of that. Thank you for sharing. The first question is, what's the first step that you typically take when you meet with a new leader or business? So we try to do, you know, something called a discovery call. Um, and in that call, it's really being more of a listener. So it's asking those right questions to really understand, you know, what are the pain points that you're currently facing? Um, you know, is it, you know, you're, you're unsatisfied with profits? Is it you're consistently putting out fires and you don't have time to concentrate on things that are generating value and generating revenue? Um, you know, are you unable to delegate? You know, is that a personal thing to where you can't let go? Or is it the fact that every time you delegate something to these people that are supposed to be on your leadership team that they can't execute in a manner that's keeping customers happy and is up to the standard that you expect? So during that discovery call, we're really trying to understand, okay, what are like the biggest things that keep you up at night? You know, what are the different diagnoses that exist where we can then look at that and say, okay, based off these things that I've heard, um, you know, over the last 30, 45 minutes, you know, here are some of the possible ways that we can help you. Um, you know, Gino spent a lot of time and what he figured out was any business, no matter its size, suffers from the same 136 issues. Okay. And from that came what he calls the six key components. And those 136 issues nest into each of those six key components. And what you find is, you know, as you're talking to people, you then kind of, for me, I'm a very visual person. So I look and I'm like, okay, that's a vision problem. That's a people problem. That's a data problem. That's an issues problem. That's a process problem or attraction problem. And in there, I can then say, okay, here are tools that either relate directly to EOS or here's some other type of thing that we've seen work for companies like you. And let's have a conversation to see what does that look like. Um, we do not like to refer to ourselves as consultants. Um, we more look at ourselves as advisors. We look at these long-term partnerships where if you're looking for someone to do a statement of work, get in, get out. That's not, that's not the type of relationships that we're looking for. We wanna partner with business leaders and business owners to say, okay, I understand the journey that you want to get to. Um, let's help you along the way. Our goal is to put ourselves out of a job and to teach you and your internal team how to fish. And if we can do that and you're self-sustaining and you're more, you're more profitable, um, you're doing the things that you love, you're spending more time with your family, that is what we consider a success. Before we move on too much further, can you uh, explain for the audience what EOS is? Sure. Um, so the entrepreneurial operating system um, is a simple set of tools that are timeless in nature. Um, so basically, Gino's history was um, he started his first business at 21. At 25, he took over his dad's business. Uh, and what he quickly realized was that everything his dad was doing, you know, needed to be changed. And so he spent the next seven years uh, tinkering and fixing that business, ended up exiting it. But along the path, he was one of the first founding members of the EO chapter in Detroit, and he started helping his peers and friends fix their businesses. And so during that time period, he looked at and figured out, okay, here are the tools that work to diagnose and fix problems in each of these six components. Six components. 
Um, and those six key components start with something that's called the vision component. So this is making sure you're crystal clear on what your vision is, you have your core values, um, you know, what's your core focus? So what, what is that mission statement? You know, what is it that gets you out of bed? What is your why? And then what's your niche? So what is the what that you can do that you can summarize in seven words or less that is crystal clear and tells everybody what you can do? Then what's your 10-year target? This can range from five to 30 years. Um, and this is your big, hairy, audacious goal. This is, I want to be, you know, the market leader in the United States and be generating $150 million, you know, by 2030. Um, then what's your marketing strategy? So crystal clear, who's my target market? What's their demographic, psychographic, and geography? Um, and then, you know, what are the things that make you, me unique compared to my competitors? Do I have any type of personal guarantee in there? Um, that I can stand behind um, in delivering my product or service. And if I could summarize what it's like to work with me, what is my proven process? So how can I outline in one page and I can leave that and whether I'm explaining it or it's sitting there in front of you, you can really identify and understand what it is that I do for you um, in this type of relationship. Then you get into more of the, okay, let's put a stake in the ground. What's my three-year picture? Um, what's my one-year plan? And then Human psychology says that uh, you only digest things and take things in in 90-day periods. So this nests well in terms of quarterly goals, which he calls rocks. Um, and these rocks are the three to seven most important things that are gonna get you closer to your one-year plan, your three-year picture. Um, so the, the idea is to start at the end and then backwards plan. Um, this is something that you know, I learned how to do in the military um, and it's something that works extremely well in business. Um, and then, you know, what are the issues? What are the big issues that are showing themselves time and again? And then how do you keep all that stuff in a meeting cadence where you can discuss it on a weekly basis? Um, after you kind of crystallize this, here's where we're going, how we're going to get there. Uh, the important part is to over-communicate that piece. And if you're over-communicating that piece, then everybody knows this is where I sit on this boat. Um, these are the things that I'm responsible for. Um, and this is what I'm doing and how it's playing into the greater good of the organization. Um, so that's the vision component. Uh, the people component just looks at, uh, you need to have the right people in the right seats. So that meaning the right people are people that fit your core values. Uh, they're people that you can see yourself spending time with both inside and outside of the office. And then right seats, meaning that I have the God-given talent to do the role that I've been hired and am being paid to do. And what you find in a lot of organizations is people either fit in one of those buckets or the other and not both. And what happens in those scenarios is if I'm really good at my job and I'm a salesperson and I'm, you know, 300% of my targets on a monthly basis, but every time the owner walks away, I am like, he has no idea what he's doing. You know, I'm eroding the culture um, that no matter how many dollars I'm bringing in the door, it, it's, it's never going to make up for the damage that's being done to the culture. And on the flip side, if I have someone that I enjoy spending time with, we go out and get drinks, we get lunch every day, but I just don't have the skills to be an effective CFO. I'm doing more damage to the organization because I need somebody that's in that seat that can do all the roles and responsibilities that are expected of them. And then I have the tough decision of finding somewhere else in the organization for that person um, or having to, you know, tell them that they need to go and find a different job. Um, then you have the data component. So metrics in, in every organization that are broken down by business function 
and making sure that there are people accountable for each of those metrics. This starts at the leadership team level and it eventually gets down to your operations team has a scorecard, your finance team, et cetera. Um, if I don't have, if every person is not accountable for metrics in that organization, then there's usually something wrong. Um, and you need to have effective ways to be able to gather the data to populate those scorecards. If you take care of those first three things, then what you find is there's a level of transparency in a business that all the issues start to show themselves. And what's crystal clear about leadership teams is most people are type A personalities. Most people have gotten to where they've gotten to by you know, a different playbook. They have different teachings and a lot of them don't play in the sandbox well together. And so from that perspective, you have to teach and understand the different communication styles of everybody that's sitting around at that table and teach them how to identify, discuss, and solve, and really create action items that are coming out of those meetings so that you're not consistently talking about that same issue week after week after week, and you can concentrate on the things that are generating value in that business. Mm -hmm. Last part, the uh, two, two last parts, um, the process component. So this is document your high level, what are your HR processes? How do you onboard and offboard people? Um, how do you file expense reports? How do you close the month in the books every month? Um, if you crystallize these things and they're documented, this is what's scalable in an organization. And unfortunately, what I find in most clients is, you know, our sales team has 27 different ways of creating quotes. Then I have to chase this person down to truly understand why did they do this? You know, it, it affect our profit margin, whatever it might be. Um, there's all this inefficiency that's created from not doing the same thing the same way. Um, and that's what's repeatable and scalable. The last part being the traction component, living in a 90 day world. So set your rocks, use your rocks, and then your meeting cadence. Have the same meeting that's 90 minutes on the same day, same time every week. Mm -hmm. That is your avenue to discuss any of the issues that are happening in the business. That's the meat of the meeting, that's 60 minutes. The rest of it is reporting on your scorecard, you customer or an employee headline. So you hired people, you fired people, uh, you brought on new customers. Um, and then any of the to-dos that were assigned in the last seven days, if I'm on the leadership team and I had three things, I'm reporting back and saying, I completed these things or I didn't and here are some issues that came out of it. Mm -hmm. So those are the six key components that make up EOS. And what we try to say is it's a 24 month journey um, you start out with a couple full day sessions with a professional or certified implementer um, that really help you crystallize your vision and the direction that you're going. And then it turns into an execution framework where I come and I run your quarterly meetings and your two day annual planning sessions. And that is where I'm looking at how did you perform last quarter? Did you complete all your rocks? You know, what are the different issues that are happening? You know, are you effectively, is everybody attending the meetings? Do you keep moving the meetings? You know, it's really making sure that you're utilizing the tools in the way that they were intended. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, that is what people find that's powerful. And that's why you have, you know, over 80,000 companies are using some of the tools for EOS. Yeah, absolutely. I found it um, in multiple different companies to be transformational. Um, if you stick with those, that cadence of meetings, because keeping everybody yeah. on the same page and then asking the same questions or moving beyond them, it, you're, you're always making progress. The mm -hmm. thing that I find um, fascinating and powerful about this system, I mean, all of it, but um, in addition, is that it always begins with 
the why, the mission, the vision, what in the heck are you trying to do here to begin with and getting everybody on that same page. Mm -hmm. So what have you found in starting these conversations with the, the clients that you have now and that you've worked with in the past as far as whether they've been clear, haven't been clear, and how just that one thing can help transform the, um, the rest of the organization, just knowing what path you're on? Um, it definitely varies. I mean, you have some of these leadership teams that are extremely creative. So I'd say that, you know, they, they do a very good job of coming, you know, and the, I think the goal is to be concise. So I think a lot of people get these, you know, couple paragraph mission statements that yeah. no one's ever going to remember. Um, so everything with EOS is keep it simple. So less is more. Mm -hmm. And so everything is you'll see is like three to seven, three to seven, try to keep it seven words or less you know, um, Adidas, Beat Nike, um, you know, different things like something that, you know, people can put that flag up and say, you know, I can really get behind this, you know, at Vargas Andrews, we are, we exist to transform businesses and business owners lives. And that's what we do. That's what we're passionate about. Um, and our niche is basically trying to find like-minded individuals that are change focused um, and seeking a better life. And that's something that's, you know, very hard for people to come to terms with. Mm -hmm. um, but what you find is, you know, you could have an organization that's existed, either it's in its infancy stage, it's maybe been around for less than a year, or an organization that's been around for 15 years. And once you get everybody in these sessions and they're talking about it, you realize that Andrew CFO had a totally different idea of what the owner thought was happening. And you have all these silos that have been created in an organization and you got people pulling in a million different directions. And when that happens, it's, you know, everybody's working against each other. There's likely lots of wasted, you know, money that's happening because I'm implementing a strategy or some system that isn't going to talk to this other system. And there's going to be all this double work that's created. You know, people don't keep that big picture in mind. So I think it's, it's important. And what we try to do at the beginning of all these sessions is, you know, let's be open and honest. So everybody, it doesn't matter what your feedback is. It doesn't matter if it goes against you know, the owner of the business or the CEO, everybody has a voice. And those voices are important because the person that has this mindset of, you know, here's where I think we should be going, isn't taking into consideration these things that are happening at the customer service level, at, you know, the customer feedback piece. So in a lot of these situations, things need to change. And the only way that you're able to really understand the entire organization and what everybody's thinking uh, and get on the same page is to have that collaboration. The worst thing you can do is to create a mission in a silo and then tell everybody that you're going to get behind this and 60% mm -hmm. of your leadership team has no idea what it even means and they don't want to do whatever it is that you're saying. So yeah. having that collective kind of build up gra grassroots piece is extremely important. And if you don't do that, in my opinion, it's gonna be a failure. So you've worked with really large organizations what is the best way to make sure the right people are in the room so that that communication does get down to everyone in the organization? You know, the person on the loading dock knows why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah. So um, in the EOS process, it very much is about this over communication aspect mm -hmm. and something that they call cascading messages. So if there's any tidbits of information that would be extremely important, the goal is that whoever that leader is in some aspects, I mean, if it's a small organization where you could basically have a, 
once a month, once a week huddle, and you're able to disseminate whatever information came out of that meeting. It could be, you know, we landed three new clients, you know, uh, Linda just started in accounting, whatever these, you know, major announcements might be. Um, the important aspect is making sure that people understand and share in the wins and the losses. Um, and really, you know, have that transparency in a business. I mean, there's so many businesses I come across where, you know, um, we, we, we just helped a client do an acquisition and um, his entire leadership team had never seen a profit and loss statement. Um, all his store managers didn't know that some of their, some of their stores were operating in the red. Wow. And, you know, the new ownership took place and these people came with their hand out to the table asking for raises. And it, you know, they, they didn't understand everything that was behind it of the why, and yeah. nobody ever spent the time with them to educate them to truly understand and take ownership of their destiny. And I think that, you know, I've learned that lesson kind of along the way, especially in family businesses, mm -hmm. um, as, you know, the more transparent that you are with people um, and for them to understand what are the different levers that they can pull to be successful and to make the business successful. You know, that is what unlocks, you know, their uh, unique powers. You know, that's where you get their extreme buy-in to where they are going to bat for you. They're putting in extra hours and they're doing it because they know that they believe in whatever it is that you're selling. Um, and they know that they're going to be, you know, compensated fairly in a manner for the value that they're bringing to the organization. I love that. Unlocks their unique powers. And yes. if Everybody saw their um, their team in that way and themselves in that way in their organization. Mm -hmm. I think that, that organizations would be transformed as a as opposed to um, you know these are these are the resources that I have at my my you know fingertips or you know yeah. they look at them as like another tool or a cog in the in the wheels but um, in the machine but not necessarily um, something that can you know unlock their personal powers and individual people with their gifts to to bring but that's where you um kind of look at that scorecard which i know that there's a eos uh, website that talks about all the different tools and the worksheets and things that you can go through um i've always recommended working with someone like you to begin that process of, of going through the eos system but either way starting with the vision and then looking at each individual person in each department with a with a scorecard um, what's important are you in the right seat Do the, are the right people in the right seat the right position um, at the right time is it the right person or is it the right seat i love i love that kind of dichotomy of questioning yeah. most people um leaders will look at you know oh that that person isn't working out but maybe that person just needs to move to a different department or have a discussion and say what's wrong <laughs> exactly and I'd say so. two of the most powerful tools, at least where I see the aha happen, are in the accountability chart mm -hmm. and doing this 360 review that they call the people analyzer. Mm -hmm. uh, with the accountability chart, the important aspect is you set up the structure first, so there's no names, no roles and responsibilities. And you decide, you know, in 50% of organizations, there's a visionary. And that's usually, you know, an owner that, you know, they don't want to get involved in the day-to-day. -day. They're very much you know, setting that vision and then they have an integrator beneath them and that integrator's responsibility is, okay, Andrew just gave me 30 ideas. Here's maybe one or two that are commercially viable and you keep them on track, not wasting time. And they're the visionaries working on those big relationships. You know, they're the ones, they're, they're doing what they're good at. They stay in their wheelhouse. 
So it's an extremely important relationship between that visionary and the integrator to be in lockstep. And that integrator is, you know, in some organizations, it's a CEO and other organizations, it could be the COO. They're the ones that are fighting the fires between the different functions in an organization. But mm -hmm. after you set that leadership team level, um, what you find is there's that clarity. And then you take it that step further and you assign the roles and responsibilities that are specific to that seat. Um, mm -hmm. If you have people that are reporting to you, the first role in your seat is what they call LMA, and that's leadership management and accountability. Um, and that's just takes care of all the administrative stuff. It takes care of everything that you would need to do as a manager. And what I like to say, and you know, my leadership style is observe first, um, you know, see how things are going and then start to ask questions and see about the different ways that we can tinker to make a process better. Um, and I try to coin myself as being a leader that people want to follow because they want to, not because they have to. Um, and I think that's a very powerful thing that most people don't uh, look at correctly, kind of in a business sense where it's, you know, I'm the king, I'm the boss, you need to listen to me. Doesn't matter if, if what I say is going to send this company off a cliff, you know, I'm your boss, like do as you're told. And I, I think that that's, that's that, that di dictatorship type of situation is not something that um, in my opinion is effective. Um, so really finding those, what they call level five leaders um, that exude your core values that are really kind of, you know, doing everything that you would want them to do, whether you're there or not, are the people that you want to be in those leadership positions. And then after you create those roles and responsibilities in each of those uh, seats, then it comes into the conversation of putting names there. And after mm -hmm. you put a name in that seat, then the entire team in there has to vote on whether they think that the person that just got assigned to that seat can accomplish each of those roles and responsibilities. And if not, putting together a plan of either they're going to need somebody that's underneath them that can support on that specific piece, or you need to hire a third party, or they just might not be right for the seat. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that is the powerful part. And then the last part of that is what they call GWC, and that's get it, want it, and have the capacity to do it. Right. So get it in the sense of, you know, I have the God-given talent to do this job. One, it being, you know, I might like three of the five things on here. I'm not crazy about the other two. Is everybody okay with that? If not, then, you know, we need to figure out a way to support them in those pieces that they might not like. And that uh, happens through delegation. Um, and then capacity to do it, just meaning, you know, if I'm the guy that always has all these special projects, the owner's coming to me for all these other things. Am I really going to have the capacity to do the, do the job that's required for us to execute on our vision? Mm -hmm. um, and the other, P, the, the other part that's powerful is the people analyzer. So after you get those core values, what you do is up on the whiteboard, you put all the names of the leaders that are in the room, you put the core values across the top and you put GWC at the end and you have this on the spot 360 review and that's where you uncover a lot of the tension that exists, all these um, miscommunications or misunderstandings that took place in the organization that could be, you know, creating a bottleneck. It could create, um, you know, all these things that are inhibiting growth in the business. And what you find is, you know, if integrity is a value and, and somebody says, eh, I think Andrew's a, a plus minus or a minus, that brings out a conversation where everybody is a lot, you know, comes in and gives their two cents of, okay, this happened 18 months ago and here's my side of the story. And then you hear the other person's side of the story and then other people are allowed to interject and get in there. 
and that's constructive um, feedback that's happening. And that's um, constructive conflict as well. And, you know, the people that are not, you know, they, they try to stay away from conflict. Um, those are the ones that you kind of need to coach out and get these things on the table. And having an implementer in the room is the person that's able to see those things, pull those tough conversations out that need to be had. And those are the, those are the things that I would say add the most value with my clients that I work with. And that's just something that, you know, there's too many people that are like, you know, I don't want to look like I'm helping this person because then that's going to tarnish my relationship over here. So having that unbiased third party that's able to see that in the room and be able to action on it, you know, that's something that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, people are comfortable, um, you know, having me come in and run their sessions because of that. Absolutely. It's interesting to me in those cases, um, sometimes it feels like having, having a therapist in a, in a marriage conversation where you feel like you're talking to this other person instead of, you know, you, you should look directly at the person that you're, you know, you're talking about in the, the context of, you know, this is what I see happening in the organization and how it relates to this person. But at least you have this third party that's not a part of the organization that, you can say, okay, we're not, nobody's going to get their feelings hurt. We all promise we're not going to get our feelings hurt, but we're going to be honest because we need to grow. In order to grow, we have to be honest. And um, having that third party in the room can make all the difference. Yeah. Don't go anywhere. I'm just taking a short break to thank one of our sponsors, 5D Show Services. 5D is a full-service trade show, display, graphics, and services company with over 30 years of experience. They partner with companies of all sizes to help plan and execute the best trade shows and events on time and on budget. I've worked with Danny at 5D for over 15 years and continue to be impressed with the level of service and quality he and his team provide. For more information on their capabilities, visit 5dshowservices.com. That's the number five. D, showservices.com. When you're talking about these different, you know, the, uh, the, what did you say? The, um, the implementer, the visionary, integrator, um, uh -huh. integrator uh, when you're working with smaller organizations uh, or talking to smaller organizations, that are on the verge of growth and the leader is playing kind of all three of those roles, uh, um, what do you recommend um, that they do? I mean, it's probably different in all the different organizations, but um, what are some of the, the, the conversations that you, you work through with that when you see that one person is playing too many roles to be effective? Um, so in those situations, most of those, so when you start out and do these accountability charts, you know, in some circumstances, you do find people that either the visionary or the integrator are, they're in the sales and marketing seat, they're in the operations seat as well. Um, what we say is, you know, that can only last for, call it six months, six to 12 months. Um, so it's really putting together a game plan of, okay, this is what's happening. If you're saying that you want to get here, you are being your own bottleneck because there's no way that you're going to be able to do these things. And so uh, a big part of this is something that's called the delegate and elevate tool. 
And what it is, is it's basically four quadrants and you categorize things into, you know, things that you like and are good at all the way down to things that you don't like and are good at. Um, and what you try to do is you, you first address the things in the two bottom quadrants. Um, and you try to find, is there anybody in the organization that I can hand this off to? If not, and I'm consistently finding myself wrapped up in these things, that I, I think it's, it becomes crystallized when you actually document it. And so we challenge, you know, a lot of our leadership teams to document how you're spending your time on a daily basis, um, categorize them in these four categories, and then let's have a conversation about it. Um, that I think is, you know, one of the most powerful tools because then people think, oh my God, like I, I really am spending 80% of my time, you know, following up and doing customer service when I could just hire somebody to do that. Or, you know, I am consistently putting out fires between finance and sales and marketing where if I really had that integrator, you know, then that would free up my time to concentrate on the things that are going to continue to generate revenue. Um, and this person, you know, is going to pay for themselves in spades. So I think it's having that conversation, being able to get it out on paper, um, just so that they can see the results of it. Um, and then also just listening to the other people in the room. So it's, you know, I, I, I time and again, try and get Andrew on the phone but you know, he's just not available. He's always in meetings. Um, you know, me to be an effective leader in my organization, uh, if other people need to have conversations with me, then you know, I need to be able to make time for them to have that feedback loop. Um, otherwise, you know, everybody's gonna be spinning their wheels. And by the time I make time in a week or two, it might be too late. And you know, I just wasted two full weeks going down in some strategy or decision that wasn't grounded. And I didn't understand the context of something that only a specific person could bring to the table. Yeah, and then in the meantime, you've lost a sale or you messed something up or something was lost. Um, that's great. So I think one of the powerful tools in that is not is you know documenting, being honest with yourself, and then honest with the rest of your leadership team or the rest of your team and listening to their feedback so that you know and you can hear what your truth strengths are and not and and versus where you're putting your your time and energy. My husband and I talk about the, um, you know, the, the common problem of the entrepreneur that starts their business and they grow and grow and grow. And then their leadership team says, you know what, you shouldn't be the CEO. You should lead the sales team because that's what you're great at. You know, yeah. you have relationships, you're, you know, or maybe you should just stay up at up the top with your visionary and not, you know, pull the person, pull yeah. the other strings anymore. Yeah. And a lot of times they get their feelings hurt. It's like, no, 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 look, you're awesome at this <laughs> right here. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, it is good to be able to have those candid conversations of people understanding, okay, I need to stay in my lane. And if I get in the weeds and I start to interject, being the visionary, you know, if I'm on the finance team and the CFO makes a decision and then, you know, the visionary gets involved and says something completely different, you know, it's who do I listen to? Do I listen to the owner of the company? Do I listen, you know, you're, you're doing more harm than good. You're making, you know, lots of confusion and, and people, you know, it's like you have mom and dad, you know, you, you get an answer and you don't know if that's the right answer. And then you go to the other parent and, and get the answer that you want. Um, yes, so, I can. <laughs> so it's important to kind of understand that unique relationship. And, you know, I have a client right now that's kind of struggling with this. Um, they, you know, third generation family business, you know, multinational conglomerate. Um, and he, you know, very much likes to be, 
in the driver's seat understanding like he's using this as a very large educational piece because he will eventually go back and you know take over the entire um all, all the businesses and be calling the shots so he's trying to understand and learn as much as he can right now um but by doing that you know he can insert himself in a lot of conversations that can create a lot of confusion um, and then you know all of a sudden there's you know 67 projects that are up on the board um and it's you know who who takes priority you know if he told me this versus the actual integrator who is it that i listen to so it's it's understanding that playing to your strengths understanding your weaknesses um, and really trying to rely on other people and if you are able to create that separation by delegating things you need to be able to trust that person that they're going to make the right decisions and just have that touch point to be able to um, make sure that they're you know executing in the way that you see fit so in your um, we're going to back up a little bit in your um your bio on your um, your website you say you like to challenge the status quo and continually look to better yourself and, and ask your clients to better themselves what does that mean to you um, in or out of the context of what we've been talking about so challenging the status quo i mean there's all these industries that i would i guess coin as sleepy industries and you know there are a lot of businesses that have been extremely successful in them um i would say that you know what i've found and seen happen in a lot of these industries is i mean you look at things like uber you know everybody thought that taxis you know being in new york city owning a medallion those things were trading if you wanted to buy one it was over a million bucks you know i think 80 or 90 percent of them were owned by a russian oligarch um and you know everybody thought you know there's no way that i would be ever be able to break into this market and then Uber happened and Lyft. And it's, you know, all these industries that everybody thought were sacred, you know, are now being, um, you know, basically under attack by people that are figuring out better ways to do things um, in a more efficient manner that, you know, has more of a social impact. And, you know, there's all these different factors that people are viewing as being important right now. It's not just, you know, I can produce this product at the lowest price um, therefore, you know, I can deliver it, it, you know, to the masses. Um, now I think it's more given the connectivity that exists in the world, you know, you're connected to this thing all the time. You're in front of a computer, you're consistently have different types of advertisements and things that are coming to your purse, to your persona. Um, so it's, you know, how do you, how are you able to manage that? And I think that, you know, if you're able to kind of understand that, um, you know, and come up with an action plan, you know, that's, that's a part that's uh, extremely powerful. It's awesome. How do you work that into the, um, or do you work that into the process of uh, the EOS system? I know it's easy. You have these rocks, these little bitty, um, which can be really big as well, goals yeah. that you're working on week to week, month to month, quarter to quarter. And sometimes you can get stuck in the minutia of the vision that you had a long time ago. Um, so how, how do you balance that out with continually um, challenging the status quo versus, well, this is what we decided that our three year and five year and 10 year goal was. So everything uh, rests in something that's called the vision traction organizer. And it's basically a two page strategic plan. Um, and it's a living and breathing document. So, you know, your rocks are changing consistently on page two. 
um, every year during your annual planning session, you're creating a new three-year picture, you're creating a new one-year plan, um, and you're doing an azimuth check on, you know, your 10-year target, five-year target, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, that's your one opportunity to adjust things. Um, and if you do that correctly, you know, you might be the type of person and, and being coming from like a startup world, you know, fail fast. So there's all these different notions that you could have thought, okay, I have these hypotheses, I'm going to go out and test them. Um, if they fail, they fail. We're going to try and figure out a new strategy, you know, to get more clients, to, to do something a better way, whatever it might be. Um, so challenging the status quo, I think, just comes down to understanding, you know, who are your competitors? You know, what are the things that they're doing? How can you make yourself stand out? Um, so that, you know, you're consistently being chosen over, you know, a, an alternative. Um, and, you know, just understanding that the business model that exists today might not be relevant in six months, 12 months, but you have to have that ability and flexibility to be able to pivot. And I would say that given everything that happened in COVID, you know, those restaurants that turned into doing food meal kits, um, you know, thinking outside of the box of, okay, I have all this food that's going to go to waste. How do I turn that into profit? How do they turn that into, you know, taking the people that were, you know, um, loyal patrons at my establishment, you know, how am I able to reach them? You know, they've supported me all, all along. They still love my food. How can I still maintain and be able to keep the lights on and keep people employed? And so those that I think have this, here's what we're doing, we're never going to change it. Those are the ones that suffer. The others that it's consistently, if it's not working, it's not working. We need to do something different. Um, mm -hmm. That I think is a, a tool that not every leader has. Um, and if you can have that, you know, look yourself in the mirror and understand, yeah, this was great, you know, six, nine, 12 months ago, but we look at it now, all our clients have dried up, you know, it's just not working. Um, you know, the ones that are able to pivot and pivot quickly are, are those that are to continue to succeed. Absolutely. And, and what I've seen as well is kind of going back to that uh, vision, um, the folks who know the reason why they're doing something. So you have a restaurant, it's not just so that you can have people in seats in your store. It's because you want to provide them with a dining experience. So what is that dining experience? What more can we do in that dining experience for what's that again? What are the, you know, psychographic, who are we serving and yeah. why? And when you kind of look at it there, you can say, you know what, we're a coffee shop. Sure, we sell coffee, but what's that experience? Maybe, you know, people are having trouble finding flour. We have access to Cisco. Maybe we can sell flour and milk and eggs and, and say like, hey, get your coffee in bulk now for a little bit. And all yeah. of a sudden you're turning into a totally different store because you're still serving those two things you thought about in the beginning, why and who. And when you're, you're clear about that, you can, I think, pivot uh, more easily yeah. uh -huh. and, um, and, and have more success with the pivot and not just <laughs> go off on a crazy tangent um, trying to figure things out. Yeah. Ricochet. 
So um, talk to me a little bit more about uh, the tools that you might find yourself recommending or using outside of the EOS system. Um, you know, are there particular tools that you recommend to stay, you know, for a leader to stay on track or keep their mind clear or stay focused, or motivated, keep the distractions minimized? Um, so are you talking, I guess, in terms of that are working in the business or outside of it? Both. Yeah. I mean, like my business coach, um, you know, he's, he's telling me, not telling me, like one of the first things he said was, you know, make sure you're spending time for yourself and meditate. Like that's not a, um, you know, uh, a sauna or, you know, things like that. But both of those are tools that I use. Definitely. Okay. So I'll start internal first. So um, Microsoft Teams, like the whole Microsoft 365 suite. So that kind of had been a big influx for what people needed when COVID happened. So what you found is a lot of these businesses, you know, they're paying the five to $10 uh, per month fee for their employees, but they're using maybe 1% of the functionality that existed. And, and what Microsoft Teams does, um, and it's, it's, it's one thing to explain, I think it's another thing to show it kind of in some type of demo, is it allows you to have transparency in your business. Um, and what I mean by that is if you set up Teams correctly, you know, you can set it up by function, you could set it up by project, um, and then you can use all the other things and functionality that's in there. So you can use planner tabs to create specific, you know, tasks, you can assign them to people, um, you can attach files, this is all integrated with SharePoint for file storage and version control. So, you know, everything is extremely powerful, you can do all your meetings in there. So you can do Teams calls. Um, you know, just like Zoom, where you have 15 people on a meeting, one person can be sharing their screen. Um, everybody could have the same document up and they're editing in different parts of the document. Uh, you know, you can do this either in the web app or any of the apps that are downloaded on your computer um, or other device that you're working off of. So I think that giving that level of transparency in the new normal where most people manage by observation, so they're walking around, is Andrew doing his job? Um, you know, going, having little touch points. Yes, you can still have those in these face-to-face -face calls like you and I are having right now, um, but it really does create that platform where you can do everything that you need to do um, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. You know, if I'm in charge of finance and I know that, you know, here are the seven tasks that we need to get done to close the month, you know, I can have that laid out in a planner tab and I could have Andrew assigned to this, Alonzo assigned to that, Nick assigned to this, and rather than having to have a meeting to discuss and understand what they're doing, I can click in there and I can see that they posted a comment or notes. Um, in addition, I'll get email notifications. I'll get notifications on my phone. Andrew just made an update here. Andrew attached a file. You can, you can change those to be as uh, often or little as possible. But I, you know, what I do on a daily basis now is I'm going over and I'm looking in the entire organization to see what's happening in sales and marketing, um, what's happening in any of you know, the active customer clients that are happening, all these projects that are open. Um, and that can really kind of tell me where it is that I need to focus time. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, using the tools from the level 10 meeting um, of seeing, okay, here are the six things I need to get done before our next level 10 meeting. Um, you know, I need to contact our attorney, I need to speak with our accountant, all that stuff is logged in the same place. Mm -hmm. And they continue to add additional functionality where now they came out with something that's called lists. And this can basically be your daily to do list. 
that you're ticking off and that integrates with everything that's updating so you're not doing this double work. Um, and it really gets you in this digital environment where you can see everything that's going on. You don't need to bug people with having meetings to get updates when everything becomes that self-service. Um, so I would say that that Microsoft 365 uh, and most importantly Teams um, is something that a lot of people have been coming to us for. And I mean, if you look at the sheer numbers, I think pre-COVID they were at like 70 million and within a couple of weeks they were over 300 million. Right. And so that in itself, you know, people have just been trying to figure it out because they're already paying for it. And to them it was, there's no additional cost. I might need to hire somebody to set it up in a way that makes sense for organization. Mm -hmm. um, that's the powerful thing by doing it right the first time and being able to use all the features that are available in there that helps you run an effective business, no matter if you're on a deserted island, sitting in your office or at home. Um, other tools, uh, something that's called um, Hubstaff. Um, this we use as proof of work uh, for our clients, as well as um, just for employees. So it allows you to also see how you're spending your time. Mm -hmm. uh, it assigns um, a productivity score based off your website activity, based off your keystrokes. So it's really looking at everything that you're doing. Um, and when this is billable work, especially for clients, you know, you never want to have that uncomfortable conversation of, yeah, I did it, but there's no proof of it. You know, I didn't do a deliverable, but if you have it documented in there and I've got specific notes that are saying, you know, I worked on this and then we ran into this. So I had to talk to your attorney. I'm still waiting on your attorney to call me back. We also need input from your accountant like that. Everything is um, categorized and given there. And then when we send our bills every month to our clients, you know, it's crystal clear of, you know, they basically get all their questions answered before you get on the phone to have a conversation about, you know, whatever it is that might've happened. Um, beyond that, I think it's understanding your financials and having financial transparency um, is something that most organizations don't have. So simple things like, you know, looking at your cash flow, um, having some type of crystal ball that's a financial model that allows you to look at here are all the different products and services, here are all the costs associated with that. And if I really want to become an organization that's turning over 50 million, who am I going to have to hire along the way? What does that plan look like? When is that person going to come on from a payroll perspective? And then, you know, am I going to have to invest in additional technology? we help clients build models that have all of those factors in there. And what it does is it creates, you know, a 45 to 60 page um, PDF document that has all these reports. It gives you all the information you would need to go to a bank to get a loan, to go to investors and get, you know, capital investment, whatever that might be. And then our goal is to then teach whoever your internal finance uh, lead is on how to maintain that model and that you can keep it updated so that you know exactly where you're going and if you're staying on track um, in any of the different tweaks that need to take place. Um, now, external to the business, I think that a lot of this stuff comes down to kind of, as you mentioned, taking time for yourself. So it's blocking off different parts of the day just to, you know, if it's, you know, you need to exercise, you know, you need to get those endorphins running. Um, understanding that you're gonna get up early, say at 5 a.m., um, you know, to read the news and, and check emails before your one-year-old wakes up at six. Um, you know, having that kind of scheduled in there is extremely important just because it helps you plan your day. Um, it doesn't get to that point where you're out of control meeting after meeting after meeting. 
um, it really helps you control, you know, where you're spending your time um, and make sure you're not getting burnt out by doing the same thing over and over again. Um, and then, you know, for me, it's having those mentors and advisors. Mm -hmm. uh, so find someone that's in your industry that has been successful, um, that's open to having that one-on-one -on -one relationship. Um, on the advisor side for the businesses, I'd say you're going to find better advisors if you can pay them or um, give them equity in some circumstance to be involved. Um, those are powerful relationships, um, you know, that really can be a sounding board because when you're running an organization, it's lonely at the top. Um, so if you don't have anybody that's holding you accountable, that's where it's important. Um, you know, one of the big goals that uh, my business partner and I have now is having an executive coach, uh, you know, so that we stay in lockstep. And as we've, you know, continue to grow, you know, amongst COVID, we've hired an additional 15 people, uh, mostly offshore in the Philippines. So most of our stuff, we've always been remote. Um, and, you know, I started going to the Philippines in 2003. Um, you know, amazing people, strong work, work ethic, amazing education um, that, run circles around, you know, people, you know, that I've grown up with and, and gone to school with. Um, so utilizing and being able to use that workforce, um, that becomes a force multiplier, not only for our clients, but for ourselves. Um, you know, that's, that's something that's important. And then I think just, you know, having that reflection, um, being able to, you know, have an offsite, you know, at least once a quarter um, to really talk through and diagnose, did we meet the goals that we said we were going to? If not, what were the reasons why and how do we set more effective goals using the SMART methodology to make sure, you know, that at the end of the 90 days, we can say definitively whether we reached our goals or we didn't. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. So if someone was about to start a business, um, I know right now is kind of a crazy time, but what would be the best piece of advice that you could give them? Um, I would say, you know, understand, understand your target market. So the, using the fail fast mentality, you know, go out and test it. I think that a lot of people get stuck in, it needs to be perfect. You know, I need to have my MVP before I, um, you know, go to market. But, you know, if you have an idea, like you need to pull the people that you think that you're going to sell it to, whether that's your friends, whether that's your family, whether that's, you know, uh, a business that we invested in and, and are partial owners of is military handyman. And the whole notion is military veterans that have trade skills or general contractors that are kind of like an Angie's list. So how many people love their veterans? Uh, they'd rather have a veteran, you know, do their remodel of their kitchen or change their ceiling fan because it's someone that served this country, is respectful, et cetera, et cetera, all these reasons. Um, the founder went and stood in a Home Depot parking lot and he basically asked people as they were going in, would you rather have a veteran do this or just any Joe Schmo uh, handyman business? And the feedback was overwhelming. You know, 80, 90% of people preferred, yeah, I'd love to support my veterans and that would be a great way of doing it. Um, so doing things like that. And then you need to understand the economics of your business, you know, mm -hmm. from very early stage. So find someone that is a resource if that's not your strength, but you really need to understand, okay, you know, what are my startup costs? You know, what is the product or service I'm going to be selling? What are the costs associated going to be? And is this something that can be profitable? 
if you don't understand that and you know for every dollar you're making costs you a dollar fifty you know you likely shouldn't start that business right. um, so i think really understanding you know who is that target market what's their willingness to buy and then do the economics make sense if you have that then it's coming up and crafting a story you know i we we invest in companies uh we're general partners in a deep tech venture fund um, you know, we're, we're going to be raising additional funds, you know, in the coming years. Um, but the more investors that I come across, they're investing in people, any ideas, anybody could come up with an idea at the end of the day, it's, do I believe in Andrew to go out and execute on this? If I give him a bag full of money, is he going to set it on fire or is he going to be extremely frugal and extremely pointed in terms of how he spends this? And those that can think through and say, if I have this million dollars, 150,000 is going to go towards marketing campaigns and I'm going to hire a junior level salesperson. And then here's where I'm going to spend the rest of these dollars. Those are the people that are able to plan and effectively execute as they say they're going to, you know, having that track record, that that's what people are investing in. They're in investing in someone that has that track record that they can see is going to be open to feedback, open to input, um, and is going to be extremely responsible with the money that you're giving them. Um, so yeah, that, that would be my feedback to people looking to start businesses. And even now, you know, there's lots of industries that are thriving amongst COVID. You know, the world is never going to be the same. You know, uh, footprints of office buildings for large corporations are going to change. You know, our offices in WeWork, you know, I'm not sure if they're going to survive. Um, you know, I, the, the office that we're in takes up three floors in downtown LA. Um, I walked the floors, uh, last week and the week before and the week before that on the one day a week that I'm in there. And I've counted less than 10 people amongst three floors. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's a huge building. And so looking at that, you know, that gives me some type of indication, but I think what, what also happened is people's notion of working remotely and being able to produce results. I mean, there are some businesses obviously where you need to be in person. Um, but if you're not, then this creates a new environment where this overhead cost that once existed of you needing an office space is going to be the exception, not the rule. And if you can go and, you know, pop in and, and use some shared space every now and then to conduct those meetings and great, you know, and, I think that the expectation of people that have been performing, you know, for the last 90 to 120 days without having to step foot in the office are going to want that, you know, continued quality of life. Why am I going to commute an hour and a half each way in traffic? Sorry, helicopter. A, sounds blank. Um, you know, how, how am I going to be able to not have to go in the office ever again. You know, if I'm doing 200% of my targets, oh wow, Navy, Osprey, they all, that's a weird flight path. They're circling down here in Huntington Beach. Oh. Sorry. Okay. Give me two. Okay, he's gone. Sorry about that. No problem. We had a garbage truck on um, most of a recent <laughs> You never know what's going to happen. 
Um, yeah, that's a really good point. And like you mentioned, you know, Microsoft Teams has um, has allowed um, supervisors to realize they don't necessarily, like you said, have to look over the shoulders all the time, literally, in order to see the productivity of their teams. And I've been a big proponent of the of uh, flexible office. Um, you know, like yes, there's a lot of times where just being face to face and having that energy is really important but it's not necessarily all necessary all the time and it is also not necessary even my eight-year-old son is like why does everybody go into the office at eight and leave at five and and like sit in traffic for two hours in order to do that and all of a sudden it doesn't make sense anymore does it <laughs> so now we know that it doesn't make sense not everybody needs to be in the office and not everybody needs to be in the office at those times like you said some people need to wake up at five to get ahead of the baby <laughs> Um, or, you know, work from 10 to whatever after whatever happens in their life. Mm -hmm. And they can't, there's no reason for a lot of people not to do that if they're not customer facing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. that's, I mean, the power of remote teams, you know, I think it's something that's been a pillar where we've been able to create value for our clients. Mm -hmm. um, and in our, you know, past positions, you know, when, when, my business partner and I worked for the family office, you know, we built an offshore team of 35 individuals. Um, and that's, you know, it saved them a lot of money, but they also became much more efficient. Mm -hmm. um, you know, once we implemented the right technology, you know, if you're using a system that's in the cloud, you know, you can access that system from anywhere in the world to where in the old days, you know, it was an on-premise system and you needed to physically be in the building to have access to it. Otherwise, you know, you had to do all these crazy things. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think, you know, people's eyes are now getting open to this possibility of, okay, there's a better way of doing things. And if I do this, then it's going to improve my life, both personally and professionally. Mm -hmm. And I would say that, you know, there are plenty of successful people out there that aren't happy. And it's like, yeah, I'm, I've got this great business and we do all this revenue and all this profit, but you know, my wife is pissed because I'm never around. My kids never see me. And it's like, is that really what you set out, you know, to do? Is that what you want your legacy to be? And, you know, for me, I enjoy being around my children. You know, it's great to see them grow up. And, you know, it's, it's been rewarding not to be in the office or at client sites, you know, as I used to be on a consistent basis. Um, but I think it, you know, it retold the expectations of, you know, yes, there are going to be those circumstances where I need to have FaceTime. But at the end of the day, like if I have deliverables and I'm producing results for you, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm in person or not, you know, you, you know what you're going to get. And if I have the track record that's going to produce those results, then, you know, I can, I can do the work remotely one, two, and at the end of the day, if we're able to do things remotely, it's going to be cheaper. So everybody wins. Yeah. Except the airlines and the commercial buildings. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not. Yeah. Oh, who knows what you know? Life will be like a couple years from now. Yeah, the past couple of years, I think I've logged a hundred, like close to one hundred and fifty thousand miles every year. Mm -hmm. um, you know, go to Asia a couple times a year. Um, Australia, I've got a client in Australia, um, Hong Kong, um, and then the Philippines. You know, where we have our business process outsourcing firm. So, you know, it, it's good to put in that FaceTime just to have a pulse on things. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, in, in today's normal, you know, who knows when that's going to be allowed again. I think I, I saw a map the other day of if, if you had a U.S. passport where you used to be able to go compared to now, 
and I think it's only like three or five countries that were allowed Turkey, Tanzania, and then there's like a couple in the Eastern Bloc of Europe, but everything else were blacklisted. <laughs> On that note. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we, we've talked a lot about so many things and I know we could just keep going and going and going. You have so much awesome information to share. I do want to, um, I don't ask everybody this, but I think because you had had so much great information, if I were listening to this podcast, I'd say, I want to hire Andrew. Um, and, and so I feel like, uh, you'll get some calls. What is your actual target, uh, business or or um, audience that you're hoping to work with? Yeah, I mean, for us, it's, you know, we are very focused on, you know, who the founder, co-founders, owners, leadership team is. So for us, it's, it's very much obviously, you know, a, a matchmaking. Um, so it's, you know, people that understand that they need help, um, you know, and are, are seeking that, you know, to live a better life. So for us, I think it, it does come down to the, the core values piece. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, if you have defined core values, you know, you're going to gravitate towards other people that are like-minded. Mm -hmm. um, you know, those that are comfortable with challenging the status quo, you know, that really want to disrupt an industry, that really want to, you know, take an industry to the next level, want to take their business to the next level. Those are the people that we're looking after. You know, it can vary in size. I mean, we've got clients that, you know, are pre-revenue that have raised, 10, $15 million that are doing crazy things in the virtual reality space for medical devices and surgeons, all the way to, you know, multi-billion annual revenue in 30 subsidiaries around the world, you know, with a headquarter in the Philippines. So, you know, it, it, it is kind of across that spectrum, but for us, I think it comes down to uh, the leaders that are at the table um, and really, you know, open to, you know, there's a better way to do things, you know, and for us that our goal is to, you know, ensure that people don't have to experience the painful lessons that we've learned or the painful lessons that we've seen other people learn. And, you know, you can do that by, you know, implementing a lot of these things into your business. And I would say, you know, with EOS, it was one of those things that after running on it for a period of time, you know, it just became this trivial thing. And it's like, why didn't I think of this? You know, it seems so simple to be able to, if I do this in this way, if I look at these metrics in sales and marketing and operations and whatever in finance, if I track these things that I'm really going to have a pulse on my business yeah. um, and everything else is going to take care of itself. And if I surround myself with people that make me a better person and make up for the things that I'm, you know, that I identify as my weaknesses. I think that, you know, being vulnerable, being, you know, understanding that, you know, I'm not going to be able to be the jack of trades on everything, mm -hmm. uh, but I'm going to make sure that I surround myself with people that bring me up in those areas that I'm not strong at, you know, that, that is half of the battle. And I think that those that try to put the world on their shoulders, you know, they can do it for a period of time, but it's not going to be sustainable. And the rest of the world is going to crumble around them. Um, so yeah, for us, it's, you know, entrepreneurial mindset, really looking to challenge the status quo, you know, that really want to live that better life and are open to all the teachings and lessons, you know, that we've experienced, you know, both personally and professionally. That's fantastic. Is there anything else that you would want to share 
just in terms of sharing, um, just, I guess, be yourself in all of this. Like, you know, take the opportunity with all this extra time um, to really reflect on your business. You know, if you are a business owner that's struggling, you know, really try to understand, you know, what are the things that you can change today and tomorrow? You know, what are the things that you can change that are not going to cost you dollars? And what are the things that you know are going to be the most important things that if you spend these dollars, that you're going to see a return on your investment? You know, a lot of this starts with, you know, just having conversations. I would say that, you know, one of the harder things that's happened with COVID is obviously, you know, with social distancing, you know, people are not able to go out and have those in-person touch points that, you know, keep them alive and keep them thriving. You know, there are those people that feed off other people's energy um, and not being able to do that, you know, creates a lot of, you know, issues. I mean, it, it can, it can do lots of different things. It can make you doubt yourself. It can make you, you know, excuse me, question the direction that you're going in with your business, whatever those things might be. So I think it's, you know, finding those outlets um, and finding that support system, you know, everybody has those things. I'm fortunate that, you know, along all my travels that I've done and, you know, all my educational opportunities that I've been fortunate to have that I now have people, you know, all around the world that, you know, if I get my family on a plane and go visit, you know, we can go to their house for dinner. We can, we can go out to dinner just as adults. Uh, we can see their kids. Um, you know, whatever those things might be, you know, find those things that make you happy um, and try to figure out a way that, you know, you're going to develop a business in something that you're passionate about and something that brings you joy day in and day out. Um, you know, uh, my, I think back to, um, so I graduated from Syracuse back in 2006 and I had seven months before I had to report for my officer basic course uh, in the army. And so the army, this was at a time where the wars were heightened and, you know, budgets were starting to balloon. Um, and they basically said, either we put you on orders and you have to check in three times a week or go off and do whatever you want to do. And then in seven months, come back. So I chose the latter. Um, I moved to Australia. I ended up working, you know, for a car battery manufacturing company um, that was the third largest wholesale distribution arm um, in, in Australia, New Zealand. Uh, learned a lot in that experience um, and really developed relationships, you know, one of them being with my now business partner that, you know, had I not done that, um, you know, we would have never met, you know, we wouldn't, you know, I probably wouldn't be sitting here today. But I remember uh, a st uh, conversation I had with my mother and her concern for me was, if you're working for this company in Australia, how are you ever going to get a job back in the United States? And it, it just, it solidified this idea that, you know, majority of our parents looked at everything in this black and white world of, you know, you go to college, then you find a company and you work for them until you die. Um, and, you know, younger generations obviously do that a little bit different. They're consistently hopping around. But I would say that a part of that is because they're trying to find themselves, one, and two, they're trying to find that culture and the values and things that really energize them to enjoy the work that they're doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, until you can get to a point where you can identify the things that bring you joy on a daily basis, that work that you're able to do that creates value for others, you know, is something that you can devote your life to. Mm -hmm. And I think that that didn't used to exist in the world 
um, when it wasn't so connected via, you know, digitalization and technology. Um, so I think it's, you know, embrace the changing world that's happening, mm-hmm. find a way to use your superpowers and the things that you're good at, um, and either align that with, you know, some entrepreneurial company that's up and coming, or, you know, figure out a way to create your mission and your vision uh, for your own business to be able to, you know, drive home that passion, um, you know, into your daily life. And I mean, all of us spend a majority of our time working, you know, more time than we spend with our family. So you might as well be doing it in something that you're really passionate about. Absolutely. And I, I think the the biggest thing that I've um, worked on and, and talked about with um, folks that I've talked to is this is a great opportunity to look at what you miss the most about pre-COVID mm-hmm. and what you um, could completely leave out <laughs> and yeah. do that. You yeah. know, we get to some place in time where we can go back to seeing people leave out all those things that you realize, oh my gosh, I don't really miss that. You know, find a job that doesn't have traffic if you don't really need to be in the office, you know, or doesn't have that commute uh, or whatever it may be. You know, if you've really enjoyed, you know, building up your garden, like all the construction happening around you and people building pergolas so they can enjoy their outside or whatever, then do that. Do that when everything is, you know, normal again. Don't let yourself get lost in the speed trap of, of uh, the American culture that we live in now. Definitely. Yeah. did a year ago. Yeah, and it's, I think, you know, the, the world is going to be forever different. You know, this is going to be our new normal. I mean, I think I've asked, you know, a lot of people that I respect as mentors and advisors, you know, of when do they see some sense of normalcy happening? And most of them tend to be towards the end of 2021 or into 2022. Which I am one of those extreme extroverts that gets all of my energy from other people. And so like the bigger the crowd and the longer I'm with that crowd, the more energy that I get. So yeah. that makes me want to cry. <laughs> but um, but okay. with that, yeah, it'll, I think it'll get unlocked, obviously, in, in different parts, you know, of the United States, obviously, depending on how a lot of the stuff, you know, pans out. But yeah, it's um, a bit in different places, like Austin opened up and then shut down. And you yeah, know, we opened up, shut down yesterday again. Yeah. yeah. But like you said, finding different ways to connect. Like, I'm so grateful that I started this podcast in March. Um, actually first interview was in February, but I don't think I would have launched it mm-hmm. the end of March. I would have been like, oh man, I missed my opportunity. But now that I have, and I'm, you know, the, the momentum has started, um, it's a huge outlet for me and I love it. And I love having these conversations that I would have had at a networking event that mm-hmm. I can't go, you know, can't go to anymore. Yeah. Um, and sure, there's like online networking where it's like speed dating, but you're not really getting the depth of conversation that, that you know we yeah. just had yeah. so thank you <laughs> for letting me plug into you <laughs> no it's 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 great to have these conversations you know we've been exploring you know the idea of potentially doing a podcast um just to you know because it's you know this is it's it's an amazing opportunity to do that you know voice of the customer you know to just to hear what business owners are thinking the issues that they're going through you know just to understand you know, what, what's the right messaging? Because I think it, you know, in business, it very much is this whole, 
you know, how do you make that connection? You know, how do you get in front of somebody that you know you're going to be fast friends and you're going to find ways to partner and do great things together with, you know, but it's, you know, how do you, how are you able to do that now from a socially distanced perspective? Um, so, you know, it's, it, it's great to see, you know, people like yourself that are doing this, you know, but also just highlighting, you know, the fact of at the end of the day, you know, from it's all the soft skills, it's all the touchy feely things that is what makes businesses successful. And I think those leaders that truly understand that um, and exemplify it and try to highlight it in their organizations, you know, are those that, you know, are the ones that people remember. Um, and I think that when you put that good energy into the world, you know, you're going to find like-minded people that are just going to start coming to you. And you know, to date, you know, majority of our clients have been through my personal network, but now it's obvious, you know, it's starting to turn into these, you know, recommendations and referrals uh, you know, just based off of the experience. Cause I mean, at the end of the day for us, it's not about the money, you know, to us, the money will come. If you do the right thing, you know, if you, if you're able to show value, um, you know, and create that value and, and, you know, it turns into that longstanding partnership relationship, you know, you can become that trusted advisor. Um, you know, that is just that sounding board that some people need. So, it's good to be that for people. Um, you know, I wish that I would have had that more, you know, growing up, I grew up in a very, you know, small town at the base of Lake Tahoe called Gardnerville, Nevada. Um, yeah. Luna City, Nevada. Really? Where, yeah, like truly, you know, that is um, like in between Carson and Reno. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I grew up in Gardnerville, went to Douglas High School. Um, both my brother and I played sports, were very active. You know, my first job was in Carson City at Red's Old 395 Grill. Um, yeah, and I just, it, it was weird because all my college counselors were like, you're going to go to University of Nevada, Reno, or UNLV. Right. There was nothing outside of that box. And, you know, I had so many people that are like, you're making a huge mistake and doing all this stuff. And I've, I've never looked back. But, you know, I, I, my parents are still there, um, so I still go back. I mean, it was a great place to grow up, amazing outdoor activities, you know, amazing just community and everything. But, you know, it's I'm more of a, a city person. Mm -hmm. So it's good to, you know, be around that and to be able to go back and enjoy that um, when I do have the time. I'm going to friend you. We probably have all sorts of <laughs> things that we know. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. so fun. All world. All world. Mm -hmm. We'll have to have another conversation. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for spending so much time. Um, it, the hardest part for me with these interviews is um, is ending them because <laughs> I feel like I could just go for hours, but I'm not sure if everyone listening uh, would want to. <laughs> so, um, we'll have to see what the reaction is and if we need to get a part two going. <laughs> Fantastic. No, but I look forward to so Hey, so what did you think of MVP Business? If you liked it, please subscribe and tell all your friends. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. If you didn't like it, don't just leave. Let me know what I can do to improve who you'd like to hear from and what you'd like to learn.
The mission of MVP Business is to share the strengths and struggles of leaders who have successfully grown their businesses while staying true to their mission and vision so that other entrepreneurs can follow, knowing that the path isn't easy, but the journey's worth it. If you believe in this mission, please help by living it and sharing it. In the meantime, enjoy the day and live with passion.